Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, welcome to this week's Believe in Bama podcast. I am Tom Abraham, and we have got a lot to talk about now that there is a schedule in front of us, a 10-game schedule that we can talk about. And also, we're going to take a little look at the futures, the numbers that have come out in terms of the win totals for the games in the SEC and specifically Alabama as well. And you know what? If you want to take advantage, full advantage of sports being back, and if you want to get in on the action with hundreds of odds and futures and props for you to bet on, there's always the online casino as well. It never closes, and this is a great opportunity to get in there and make your picks early on. If you think that the uh, you know win total for Alabama might be a little bit low or a little bit high or any other team, maybe Arkansas at two and a half wins, maybe you think that's a little rich, you know, you need to check this out. Head on over to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit again that's betonline.ag and sign up today bet online your online sportsbook experts and speaking of experts when it comes to alabama there's a lot of former players i like to talk to there's a lot of pundits i like to talk to but let me tell you about this guy a guy i like to call the savant i mean this is a guy that does sports talk radio in the state of alabama he covers the crimson tide he's been in the press box for many, many years uh, following the Crimson Tide, interviewing players and so on. He is a recruiting guru, and he's got his finger on a pulse of everything that is going on. With Alabama sports, he is Drew DeArmond, and he joins me now. Drew, welcome in, man. How are you? Good, Tom. It's always great to be with you, man. You know, I mentioned being in the press box and all that time that you've spent in there. Any idea yet on what the press box protocol is going to be now that we know that, you know, there's going to be 20% attendance at least to start the season? Um, is it 20% attendance in the press box, maybe? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, I was just asked that yesterday. You know, it's been a topic that everybody's wanted to kind of broach. But no word from the University of Alabama yet, uh, just like there's no word uh, as far as uh, game times, kickoff times, and TV. I think maybe we'll, we'll find that out in a couple of weeks if everything continues to progress. And we know that uh, they are going to be out on the field uh, and they're going to kick off. But, I, you know, that'll probably happen more toward game week. But no word yet on the press box and uh, the capacity there. Certainly hoping – we're going to be inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. It'll be interesting because the press box has been redone along with the renovation, so we won't be in the usual spot. So anxious to see uh, if we're going to be able to watch the Tide in person. Alabama's home opener is October 3rd. Is the thought that all the renovations uh, are predominantly uh, will be done by that time because there was a big undertaking on the stadium um, you know, in, the, in one of those end zones? Yeah, it certainly looks that way, Tom. I mean, uh, it's been a huge undertaking, and with the uh, COVID-19, they, of course, had to have some uh, stoppages, and they had some uh, workers come down with, the, uh, with the, of course, uh, uh, the, uh, with the disorder. But, again, and with, a, and with it, uh, but I think they, they never really stopped. They had guys uh, in place. They sent people home. Uh, they had workers on call, and so – from what I understand, everything was on schedule, even though they had a couple of stoppages. They continued to work through it. 
Uh, and so, uh, though the COVID-19 was certainly, uh, you know, a, a difficulty that uh, made things, uh, mo- you know, uh, much more difficult, uh, I think they've, they've been able to get it done. And I think uh, everything that I've seen so far, I haven't been, been to Tuscaloosa since this happened, but looking forward to being back there and all the photos that I've seen and the videos. And Greg Byrne did a great job of keeping people, you know, up to date with that. The University of Alabama Athletic Director, everything looks great. And the Sports Science Center is spectacular, and they, they're definitely finished that. So I think the stadium is going to be ready to go, uh, you know, by uh, the, October the 3rd. Drew Darman here with me, Tom Abraham, as we talk about Alabama's upcoming football season, a 10-game conference schedule. And, and it is, uh, it's really a rotten shame that with this home schedule, bringing in Texas A&M, Georgia, the Iron Bowl, that, um, you know, that there won't be full capacity crowds because it's just a really sexy home schedule. But just because we heard that there's going to be 20% capacity to start, is that something that we're anticipating for the entire season? Or could it change as the season wears on? Is there a possibility that by the time we get to Thanksgiving weekend and the Iron Bowl that maybe it's opened up to 50% capacity or some other number? Well, I, you know, right now I would say no, but as we've learned with this pandemic, any, things can change on a moment's notice. Uh, certainly that's possible. It would be interesting to see how Alabama handled that ticket situation because right now, as you know, Tom, instead of a seven-game home slate, Alabama's only going to have five. Uh, they recently uh, released the ticket information and the packages, and, you know, you can buy package A, which is Georgia, Texas A&M, or package B, uh, which is, of course, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Auburn. So, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if by the end of the season, if that happens, if it does, I'm sure they would put tickets on sale via online and they would go like hotcakes. And I'm sure uh, secretly Greg Byrne and all the uh, administrators at Alabama and within the SEC are praying that happens uh, so they can have a bigger crowd. Because the one interesting thing is that I saw yesterday is there was a 14-0 vote among the uh, SEC athletic directors, there will be no visiting tickets sold for any game this year within the SEC. So that will be interesting. People have talked about how, well, if you don't have a full stadium, you're going to have home field advantage. Well, we'll see. But right as of right now, they're saying there won't be any visiting fans coming from other you know, states. So that will be very, very interesting to, to track as the, if we get this season off the ground and hoping and praying that we do. Yeah, all, every expectation right now is that it will go along. And, and look, we saw that some of the information that was utilized by the Big Ten to make the determination uh, to, to shut it down and then subsequently the, the Pac-12, that maybe it was based a little bit on some faulty information. I mean, they, 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 they kind of went in the direction of this uh, heart condition that, um, you know, that they thought you know, could be a part of a down-the-road uh, you know, um, effect of the COVID-19. But then you had doctors from the Mayo Clinic. I mean, these guys really know what they're doing, saying that, you know, that study was on 100 German middle-aged people, and, and it really has nothing to do with 18 to 21-year-old kids. There's nothing to tie those two things together. And you, you got to give – we've seen a lot of grumbling from coaches out of the Big Ten. you got to give the SEC, Greg Sankey, the ADs and presidents in the SEC, a lot of credit for holding their water and not jumping the gun and shutting things down too quick. Oh, no question. You know, I, and I was critical of Sankey at the beginning You know, of this process. I thought maybe he was – uh, you know, too uh, reactive instead of a- a proactive. But 
his approach worked. I mean, there's no question about it. Kevin Warren, uh, the first-time commissioner of the Big Ten, he's a rookie. I think they jumped the gun, jumped the shark a little bit. And, of course, the Pac-12, uh, you know, being uh, the lap dog of the Big Ten, they followed along. Uh, but I think when you, th- when you talk about the SEC, the Big 12, uh, you know, and the ACC, I think they, their, their approach worked. I think, you know, they were methodical with it. They listened to the medical experts. And, you know, what I heard was one of the mantras of the ADs was, we owe it to these coaches and players to at least try to have a season. And I'm not so sure that the Big Ten and even the Pac-12 even tried. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of politics involved in all this. But I think that uh, the SEC and Greg Sankey, they've taken a measured approach to it. Uh, and I think uh, so far it has worked. And if they can get this season off the ground, and if it does happen, then you got to give Greg Sankey a lot of credit because this has been one of the more difficult things. You know, Mike Slive never had to do uh, deal with anything like this or Roy Kramer. So, Greg Sankey, this could be a huge feather in his cap uh, if the SEC is able to have a season and we have a college football playoff and we are able to navigate uh, this coronavirus. Drew Darmer with us here as we talk some Alabama football, and uh, we'll get to the specifics of the season in a moment. But, you know, there was a, a point in time back in uh, May, June, into June, where, where Alabama fans were starting to get a little nervous about the recruiting. I mean, they're typically in that top three type slot by then, and it just it didn't seem to be happening. And then all of a sudden, there was this rush in July. And uh, lo and behold, Alabama now sitting on the 24-7 sports uh, composite ranking, sitting right behind Ohio State, number two in the country, number one in the SEC. LSU has now passed Tennessee, which you know was, was sitting on top of the SEC rankings early on. And you know, there might have been a, a thought for a minute that maybe Nick Saban was slipping a little bit, Alabama with a new staff, a lot of new staff members, that maybe they were slipping a little bit. But holy mackerel, this class came together awfully fast, and this may end up being one of the great offensive line classes ever with the you know two of the top tackles in the country the number one center in the country I mean it's just uh, it's been incredible the way it came together and these guys all seem to be pretty solid yeah they are you know it's interesting once when Drake may decommitted the quarterback that flipped to North Carolina and then Latrell McCutcheon uh, from Austin Texas the corner he and he ends up at OU uh, you know Dante Lawson was the last one remaining there was there's one commitment and at one time in May, I think they were behind Miami of Ohio and yeah. Ohio University, some Mac schools. They were 54th in the country, and there was a lot of people panicking. Well, now you fast forward, a, you know, about three months, Tom, as you said, they got 19 commitments. They just flipped Jalen Milrow from Katy, Texas, uh, Tompkins High School this past week, uh, you know, from Texas to Alabama. So they've got their quarterback now to replace Drake May. He actually almost committed to Bama, uh, you know, several uh, about a year ago. Uh, but Drake may beat him to the punch, and he committed to Texas. I think Alabama was where he always wanted to be. So they've been able, they've got their quarterback in place, uh, and that was a little bit difficult because of Bryce Young. He had scared some quarterbacks off being the number one QB in the country and a top five overall national player. But they've got 19 commitments. You talked about the offensive line class. They've got the top two tackles in the country committed: uh, Tommy Brockermeyer. Uh, he, he from uh, uh, who uh, is uh, a, has a great legacy. His dad, Blake Brockermeyer, as you know, uh, was a great pro and, of course, an All-American at Texas. His brother, James Brockermeyer, his twin brother, the number one center in the country. Uh, they've got him committed. And then you got J.C. Latham from IMG Academy. He was the first piece of the O-line class. 
many people believe he could be maybe the overall number one player in America by the time the rankings are done because they re-rank these guys. But when you have the top two tackles, and that was a huge need for Alabama, uh, with uh, you know we, we know Alex Leatherwood will move on to the NFL after this year. Evan Neal will probably be gone in two years. So Alabama needed to restock the cupboard uh, at offensive tackle, and they did it uh, in spades. And then to get a guy like T.J. Ferguson uh, from Peach County High School in Georgia, uh, one of the top two to three guards in the country. Yeah, so they've got four uh, unbelievable pieces along that offensive line with one left to go. I mean, we'll see where it happens. William Griffin Parker is someone to watch. Uh, he'll be committing on September the 4th. Uh, he's from Nashville, Tennessee, Pearl Cone High School. I know some of your old stomping grounds. Yeah. And so Alabama and Tennessee are probably his two favorites. If he does commit to Alabama, I think he would slide into the right guard spot. And to me, it might be the greatest offensive line class we've ever seen signed by one school. The Brockemeyer twins thing was was really rocked the folks at Texas. As you say, their daddy went to Texas. Uh, what ended up being, he was an All-American and, and became an All-Pro in the NFL. I think the mother went to Texas as well. I mean, these guys are Texas yeah. through and through. And then the reaction of Texas fans, if there was ever a thought that maybe they could still be in the running and flip these boys back, the the re- the reaction was so negative from Texas Longhorn fans that it seemed like well if there was a chance th- that was absolutely gone these boys here you know are going to Alabama yeah they really are I think it's over uh, you know and, and here's the ironic part they have an older brother who's a linebacker at Texas right who right. walked on and who and who's now on scholarship so you know they took a measured look I just don't think they trusted Tom Herman's program to develop them. Alabama's had first-round draft choices at every position, including center with Ryan Kelly uh, during Nick Saban's uh, you know, tenure at Alabama. They've sent guys from the, to the NFL to start at every position, and I think that was big for the Brockermeyers. They wanted to be developed into NFL players, and I think that was the, the deciding factor. Now, it's interesting because this class has been so Texas-heavy, Tom. They've got the number one overall player in the state of Texas in 2021, and Tommy Brockermeyer, and of course the number one tackle, the number one center in James Brockermeyer, the number one inside linebacker uh, in uh, in uh, you know Kendrick Blackshire, and now the number one quarterback in that senior class. So they have uh, done a great job in the Lone Star State, and they're not done because there's a couple other defensive linemen led by Shamar Turner of DeSoto, Texas, and uh, Tumsa Adele. That's the best I can do right now. Uh, he's another one. He's a teammate of of uh, Jalen Milrow, a, a five-star defensive lineman. He has left IMG Academy. He has re-enrolled at Katy High School in Tom, or excuse me, in, in Tompkins High School in Katy, Texas. And so Alabama may not be done in the state of Texas. It could be that they completely dominate the 2021 cycle with Texas and Texas A&M sitting in the background. Texas did pick up a big-time quarterback commitment, though. They did get the kid that uh, many figure will be the number one quarterback in the 2022 class. You wonder how much that impacted Milrow with his decision. It really impacted it a lot, I think. Uh, when, when, when Quinn Ewers uh, committed, I think he's supposed to be the best quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. And so when he committed that early, I, I kind of saw the, the, the writing on the wall. I, I kind of felt like that would probably be a uh, motivation for, uh, for, uh, for Jalen Milrow to take another look at his recruitment. I thought it might set off some dominoes, and it did, because Steve Sarkeesian's always liked Milrow. Uh, he liked Miller Moss as well. Miller Moss from California stayed home to go to USC. Uh, so did Jake Garcia, even though now he's transferred, ironically, to play for Rush Probst at Valdosta, Georgia. But 
I think the quarterbacks that, that Steve Sarkeesian had looked at, I think, you know, they uh, Jalen Milrow was the guy they really focused on. And, of course, Luke Altmeyer, who committed uh, to Florida State. But I think Jalen Milrow was always the guy uh, once Drake May decommitted. And that domino that, that uh, ended up falling when Texas took viewers that early, I think, they, I think now, once again, I think Texas was caught off guard a little bit. I, didn't, I don't think they thought Milrow would decommit so quickly. But I think it's the relationships that Alabama has built uh, with uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Nick Saban, and they were able to get Milrow. And I think Milrow is 100% solid now because, honestly, I think that was just uh, you know something that he always wanted to do. I think he had wanted to commit to Alabama the year, be- the year before, but, again, Drake May had beat him to the spot. And it's funny how recruiting – uh, continues to, to kind of evolve and develop because you just never know. So Alabama's got to keep their guys committed. But I think uh, this coaching staff, last year Nick Saban wasn't happy. I think he thought only Sal Sanceri, uh, you know, and, and Carl Scott did most of the recruiting. But they've had a much more balanced approach. And I think the staff as a whole, they've really adapted to this dead period being so extended. And they've built a lot of good relationships. And that's why right now they are number two. But they're just, you know, at one time, Ohio State was thought to be a runaway train, uh, Tom. But now it, it would not surprise anyone if Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide eventually catch Ohio State. Drew Dierman here with Tom Abraham talking some Alabama football as camp is open. There is a schedule. We have that in front of us. We'll get to that in a moment. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the, the situation with Bryce Young and and the fact that, you know, he is a guy that uh, came in as the number one quarterback in all of the country in the last class. And a lot of people felt like if there was spring ball and there was the full, you know, summer program that he would really push Mac Jones. I don't think anybody really feels that way anymore, but I do know that the first week of uh, summer fall camp, a lot of people have been very, very impressed with Bryce Young. What is your thought process on, you know, if and when they would see Bryce Young? Well, I mean, even if we had had a normal offseason with spring practice, if Mac Jones was healthy, I have always expected him to be the starter, uh, you know, much like we saw back in 2017 with Jalen Hurts. I think Mac, the, the one advantage that he took when, when Tua Tungvaluwa went down last year was – he went from a scared rabbit to a legitimate quarterback. I mean, I think he, he had, he had, you got an extended look at him, including starts in the iron bowl on the road, uh, including the bowl game against uh, Michigan, the citrus bowl. And he played really well. So I think he he gained the confidence of the coaching staff. Once that happened, it was going to be very difficult to beat him out because uh, if people remember the the last spring that Jalen hurts was at Alabama, Mac Jones was MVP of the eight, eight game. So He's, he's got some talent. You know, he's played well. But, I mean, Bryce Young was always going to be there. I do think Bryce would have pushed him in the spring, and that's the one regret. We didn't get a chance to see him in scrimmage opportunities to see the progress that he made. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to see Tua Tungvaluwa's first scrimmage at Alabama, and it was just painfully obvious how talented he was right away. You knew Jalen was still going to be the starter. I mean, this is a guy that was SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a freshman. But Tua, his talent was undeniable. We want, we want to see the same thing out of Bryce. We've heard a lot of good things. Uh, you know, he, he has gotten bigger. I think when he signed with Alabama, he was about 180 pounds. Last report I had was he was about 205. So he's put on 25 pounds or so since he's been on campus, even when he went home with his parents. I mean, I know he worked out with a lot of NFL players as well from the state of California, guys that play for the Los Angeles Chargers. But, again, I, I think that, uh, that Bryce is a talent. 
Uh, and you heard from uh, we heard from our Steve Sarkeesian this week. He talked about already seeing the mental part of the game and the, how advanced that Bryce is, and that's the thing you you hear about him. And I, I do think he's an elite talent. But I'll say this, you know, I think that Mac Jones is going to be the starter to start the season. Now he's going to have to play well and he's going to have to stay healthy. But he's going to have, I think, the best offensive line in the SEC in front of him. And if he stays healthy, I think this will be a year for Bryce to play as a backup. And he'll play quite a bit. But I think it's Mac Jones' football team. And I think Mac Jones is a guy I, – I will, I will go as far as to say this. I think this is a one-year deal for Mac. I think he'll either play exceptionally well and Alabama will have a chance to win an SEC title and make them college football playoff, and then he'll, be a, a, he'll go into the NFL draft. But if he gets hurt or if he doesn't play well and we see Bryce Young get his opportunity, I think he would transfer to another school. But I'm, I'm much more leaning to the fact that I think Mac Jones could have a one-year outstanding uh, you know, season for Alabama and lead them to a, a, you know, a championship of some sort. And if he does so, I think he's already, if you look, Tom, I know you're a guy, you're an odds guy. He's in the top five to six in the Heisman yeah. voting for a reason. And I think that a lot of people think he's going to be very, very productive this year. Well, and they love him in the locker room. He's got that swagger. They love him in a huddle. He's got a little of the old number 10 in him. I think he's got a little A.J. McCurran. You know, he's got a little bit of that attitude. And I think guys love that. All right, in the, our last few minutes, so let's take a look at this schedule as it came out. You know, immediately people were scoffing that Alabama added Missouri and Kentucky to their uh, already eight-game uh, schedule in the SEC. Apparently, they wanted them to play Florida, who they'll play next year in a a crossover, which would have given them not only the SEC West schedule that they always play, which includes the top teams in the uh, SEC, but they would have been playing Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, the perceived top three teams in the East. So I'm not really sure what people want. You know, maybe they should play the New England Patriots and the New Orleans Saints, too. I I don't understand that, but uh, they're going to open up. At Missouri, get A and M at home. Uh, then they uh, go to Lane Kiffin and see Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. That's going to be a great story. Those are the three games leading into uh, the big one with Georgia, which could be realistically even a preview of a of a national championship semifinal, if you will. Um, but just talk about the way the schedule sets up with Missouri A and M back home, Ole Miss on the road, and then Georgia at home. Well, I mean, I think A&M is a dangerous second game because it's going to be Jimbo's best team. They've got a lot of experience. Kellen Mond has been up and down in his career, Tom, but you can't beat experience. And he's basically going to be a four-year starter uh, for the Aggies. So, uh, and, and quarterbacks have been very productive under Jimbo Fisher. But, of course, Alabama has that game at home, so you'd have to like their chances. They have not lost uh, to A&M since Johnny Manziel brought his team to town in 2012, the year he won the Heisman. Uh, and outlasted Alabama, so we'll see. Uh, but, I mean, that's a dangerous game. Ole Miss is intriguing because of the relationship with Vic Saban and Lane Kiffin and the success Lane had, uh, but it was like a roller coaster ride when he was in Tuscaloosa. But I'm not sure they have the roster right now to play with Alabama. Uh, you know, and then again, I, so I think they've got a good shot at being 3-0 and if they can uh, take care of A&M and be healthy out of that game. Uh, then you get Georgia. Certainly, uh, that's going to be an emotional game. There's not a lot of love lost between those two coaching staff. We know what's happened in the other two meetings with Kirby Smart's group, uh, both of those being postseason games, one for the national championship, one for the SEC. Both uh, were games Georgia controlled for much of three quarters, but Alabama came back 
and was able to win the football games, first by Tua Tonga-Vailoa and then by Jalen Hurts. Tennessee is a rivalry game, and that's that will be interesting because I, we don't know how good Tennessee is. I mean, they 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 yeah, they're the wild strong card, last yeah. year. The whole the yeah, whole season are. for everybody in the SEC, you circle the Tennessee game, and that kind of determines whether or not their teams are six, seven, eight, or nine win teams. Yeah, totally. And you know, Tennessee didn't beat any great teams down the stretch last year, but they won the games, and so it's interesting because if, if, if the schedule had gone off and not been changed the pandemic, Alabama would have played eight straight without a bye, including playing Tennessee. So this time it will be, uh, as you said, it's, it's only going to be game number five, and we'll see how what kind of success Tennessee has early. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting because out, that game with George will be very emotional. So if Alabama wins that game, then, uh, you know, you've got to face the Tennessee Vols, uh, you know, on the road. In, in Knoxville. So I think the Tennessee game is, and the Texas A&M game earlier kind of trap games in the first half of the schedule because you've got, uh, you know, emotional games, uh, you know, with Georgia. And then, of course, uh, the Texas A&M game being just the fact that you're playing a quality opponent and you didn't have – usually you get two, two or three games to work out kinks, but you're not getting a chance to do that this year. So, But being at home, you'd still like to – to uh, like Alabama's chances. And then the, the other, the, I think it's a manageable schedule after the bye because you play Mississippi State and then you get a bye. But then that stretch with LSU, Kentucky, and Auburn is going to be tough because you've got LSU. The LSU and Georgia games are going to be the two most hyped games on the schedule because of what happened a year ago and really what's happened since Nick Saban got to LSU, which I know they had an eight-game winning streak, but the games were all close and very emotional. You've got to go to Red Stick. And then Kentucky, Kentucky to me, Tom, I'm on the bandwagon. I may be wrong. I picked them third in the East ahead of Tennessee. I really love Mark Stoops. So you're, if you, you play that emotional game in Red Stick, and then you got to come back to Bryant-Denny and play a Kentucky team that's physical and well-coached. So to me, that LSU-Kentucky-Auburn, and then, of course, Auburn being in Tuscaloosa, that's probably the most difficult stretch. You've got a couple of trap games, Texas A&M uh, and Tennessee, but I think the toughest stretch for Alabama because – uh, come, is going to be LSU, Kentucky, uh, you know, and Auburn because you've got to stay healthy and then you've got to stay motivated. And when you don't have full stadiums, a lot of it's going to be the coaching staff and then in, internal motivation of your players. And if you're still in the thick of a college football run, a playoff run, pardon me, and an SEC championship run, then you're going to be motivated. But say Alabama stumbles a couple of times early, how motivated are they going to be to finish this season out? Now, we've only seen Nick Saban lose – two games, uh, you know, w- one time, uh, you know, in his, in the, uh, since 2010, and that was last year. But I think this team's uh, hungry, but I, I think that three-game stretch after the bye is one that I'm going to be very interested to watch. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. This will be interesting. When the numbers came out with the uh, the win totals, originally Alabama was 7.5, and, and, and 80% of the money went on the over. They quickly moved it up to 8 to me, it feels like, you know, eight and a half, nine is where it gets a little dicey. I think the only question is, uh, you know, is it nine and one or 10 and oh? And I can't tell you who, which, who the loss would be because this is a gauntlet of a schedule. But I think anything uh, eight or better is, uh, you know, I think at eight or under, it's a definite over for this team, if you know what I'm saying. It sounds kind of confusing, but, um, I, you know, there could be two losses on this schedule. There might be one, and they also could run the table on this schedule. They'll be favored in every one of these games. So I think that that's a, a factor as well. The question is, does somebody upset them along the way? Drew DeArmond has been our guest here on the Believe in Bama podcast. Drew, I appreciate you so much, and we'll look forward to doing it again down the road. 
Yes, sir. It's always great to talk Alabama football with you. And we're really excited at 97.7 Zone to be the new home for Crimson Tide Athletics. And uh, it's great to talk Bama football and just be focusing on that and not what has been going on for the last several months. We just hope and pray. We we know we're going to see some football soon, Tom, and it's been uh, you know, a true honor to be on with you. All right. Well, I appreciate you so much. There you go. Drew Diarma. We do. We share a radio station in Alabama, and uh, Drew does a tremendous job there as well. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Bama podcast. Make sure you catch us next time as well. We'll bring players on. We'll bring ex-coaches on. We'll bring uh, pundits on that know Alabama inside and out, just like Drew DeArmon does. And until next time, I'm Tom Abraham, and this has been the Believe in Bama podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.